by Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and even strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution, as these podcasts will feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Joker, starring Joaquin Phoenix, Robert De Niro, and Zazie Beetz, directed by Todd Phillips. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. This week we're serving up some small batch film review with, uh, as of yesterday's release, Joker. Uh, this is going to be an interesting conversation. Matt is currently in his Joker attire. Uh, that's a great shirt, actually. Jesse's in his full clown makeup right now? <laughs> yes, I am. Oh, no, that's just you normally, isn't oh, it? Oh, what a burn. <laughs> Excellent. Just kidding. But it's nice. It's nice to be here. Um, feels like we haven't recorded in a while just because we did a lot uh, ahead of time, you know, being that we were on vacation, which was a blast, Matt, and I had a great time. Yes, Jesse, it was. Excellent. So let's get right to it. So I think we're going to have a lot to talk about. Uh, with this, so why don't you go ahead and pour some more of the Four Roses? We introduced this one on uh, on the Wreck episode, and this has been a bourbon that has been treating us very well. Yes, it has. Yeah, I'm going to be sad to see this bottle mm-hmm. fall the way of all those other ones that have got killed before. Excellent. Here's to the vacation, you, and a big announcement coming up at some point that yeah. I can't wait for you to tell to, the, to listeners. the listeners. Excellent. The listeners. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Amazing. Touchdown bourbon. So in response last week was uh, the episode for Paranormal Activity, and I had a viewer email from Jonathan P. who said something very interesting, and he says, um, I'm a notorious jumper at scary movies. I freak out before you're even supposed to. I'm usually the one to jump when the friend dies at the beginning. Uh, But he hadn't seen Paranormal Activity and listened to the podcast and was considering watching it. But after your reaction to the Ouija board scene and getting goosebumps and all the heebie-jeebies that you were getting, Jonathan's had second thoughts about watching Paranormal Activity just based on our reactions talking about it, which I thought was pretty cool. That is pretty cool. I responded to him by saying, you should still watch it and then kind of let us know like kind of where you fall in kind of knowing all that lore of what that film offers. Well, especially with that kind of response to our podcast, Mm -hmm. it's almost a must see, isn't it? Yes. I mean, it is fiction. Just keep telling yourself that. Definitely. Uh, Yeah. We need to incentivize him to see that movie. Definitely. Jonathan, see it. Let us know. Yeah. And we'll send a t-shirt your way. How about that? There you go. That sounds great. All right. Excellent. Extra shout out to the listeners this week. Uh, Matt and I have surpassed 10,000 downloads in our iteration doing this nine-ish months, which when you look at it from a film podcast perspective, you know, podcast is already a niche audience. Talking about film and the way we do that's already a little more nichier. And then, you know, having to, you almost have to see the films before you listen to it. So, you know, to have, I've built up an audience and fans and followers on Instagram and Facebook up until this point is nothing short of remarkable for Matt and I, which thank you to all of you. So we're actually raising them to each other, but to you all to out you there, all. 10,000 is a number that honestly I didn't think we would ever discuss. Mm-hmm. Nietzsche is one way to put it. Film yeah. and then some of our selections on film yeah. mixed with liquor. Yeah. Talk about Nietzsche. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I don't mean that in a philosophical way. Oh, yeah. Not as in Friedrich. But yep. uh, thank you all, right, thank- Nation? Thank you very much. Yeah. I- we're going to keep churning humbled. this. We're going we're gonna to keep churning this out because I think Matt and I thoroughly enjoy our time doing this. And if you're enjoying your time listening, 
that's what it's all about. Amen. Excellent. One more to that. One more to that. All right, guys. Thank you. So, Matt, why don't you hit us with the flight question this week? So we'd like to sort of tailor the flight questions to some theme in the movie. And so I think this week we're looking at best supporting characters in stories. So this is obviously a trend right now, and it's to find new material from new new characters. With so many venues that are showing TV shows and movies, there's no shortage of sources out there for mm-hmm. Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have many screenplays for any producers listening. Call yeah. us. Yes. <laughs> but we're starting to sort of... Um, Research or look into people like Alfred or mm-hmm. Saul Goodman or uh, the Mayans from um, Sons of Anarchy that have their own show now. Yep. And so in that vein, mm-hmm. the question this week is yeah. top three supporting characters that deserve their own crack at story in film. Okay. So I'll it t- can be from film or literature or wherever, just okay. supporting characters. You can have number three to start or Perfect. honorable mention, whatever, wherever you're at. Perfect. Uh, all three of mine are from film. Okay. And the first one I'm going to go with uh, from the Alien franchise, they've tried this in video games and in the extended novel universe of the Alien uh, lore. I actually want to see a movie with the Colonial Marines. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't have to be anyone that was in the movie because they kind of all died other than Michael Bean. But uh, I like I want it's such a like a kick-ass unit that actually kind of met their match in that James Cameron sequel, mm-hmm. and to kind of just see superior firepower go up against the ultimate antagonist in space, I want to see that in like a feature film. Don't you don't have to bring Predator into it and try and do all that bullshit, but yeah, I want to see that these Marines take on the the Xenomorphs one more time. I think that could be a lot of fun. Do you want this as? More action genre or more yes. horror genre? Yeah, more more action. Uh, kind of like that combat film that they were aiming for in that second. That could be even be maybe a good TV show, but you could do a feature film of it too. Because that's actually what I was just thinking. Like That sounds like 12-issue TV or 12-episode TV show waiting with enough material to yeah. be not six episodes, but 12. It could be. I love it. Yeah. That's a good one. Okay, so my third one is actually going to come from classic literature. Okay from a story that I'm a huge fan of. And obviously there's a proclivity to picking movies and characters that we like in films. Mm-hmm. I love A Christmas Carol. Okay. I love Dickens' Christmas Carol. And it's Jacob Marley. That's a good one. I want to know what happened to get him to where he's at mm-hmm. to be the ghost that has to come back and repent. Mm-hmm. That's a story of feast and famine. And there's a supernatural element obviously involved. It's re- around a very cool, like ghosts at Christmas doesn't seem to work, but yeah. in somehow that it works masterfully for me. Uh, it's untapped, but there's enough of a tease with Jacob Marley to have my interest peaked and has been peaked for decades. Yeah. So that's the one that I want at number mm. three, but barely. And I'll okay. get to the honorable mention, but, that's, but barely. I like that. Thank From you. literature too. Yeah. Keep this train moving. Number two for me, I wanted to kind of look at like a comic book character being in the vein of like Joker and uh, is it a villain or a hero that you know could side quest like a like a sidekick? Yeah, you know we're getting a lot from Marvel or um, Disney Plus, all those TV shows they're doing. But for like a feature film, one that I could actually sit and watch and probably really enjoy is a film of Drax the Destroyer. Oh yeah, uh, I oh, think he's great. I think he's just done so well in those Guardians films. It, obviously, James Gunn would have to direct this film as well because a lot of it's in the writing of his character. Uh, but I think there's a lot to be told there with what's happened to his wife and his his daughter 
and a deep dry sense of humor Dave Batista is such a joy to watch it's just everything is just so over his head and he's he's an oof but like a lovable oof and I mean we're always cracking up about his lines or like it's that's disgusting yeah man just watch out or you know or <laughs> oh oh well, I have sensitive nipples and, and all, all so this funny. all this and that like yeah. he works really well yeah. so I think it would fit comedy drama the space epic with what, what Marvel's doing yeah that one <laughs> That's so good. I love Drax. That's yeah. my favorite Guardians character. Yeah. Um, and that's a good choice. Mm-hmm. That would be interesting because it's like rough and tumble, but with the comedic element. And he's just so self-deprecating in the lack of knowledge of his own ability yep. to be polite to yes. others. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. The Mantis Watch Out part is like a second hardest laugh in theater of all time only after Dumb and Dumber and the Snowball yeah, Fight. That's that's good stuff. That's really good, Jesse. Good. Drax is good. good. I guess I'm going back to literature for number two okay. and film. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of discussion and I can't say that I really love all of this franchise. I love pieces of some of the entries in this franchise, mm-hmm. which would be The Hunger Games and it's Haymitch. There's Woody Harrelson in the film, right? Yes. Mm. Uh, what led him to... You know, the way he drinks and the way that he was sort of prostituted out after he became the champion. Yeah. I just, I loved the battle of the Hunger Games, that battle royale. Yeah. Um, To me, there wasn't enough of that in the film. Sure. I know I'm in the minority probably for most males or most uh, most, um, fans of that film. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think that's a great character that is used improperly in the second and third films and really well in the first, but not enough of the first. Sure, yeah. What else am I going to say? Like, I don't think The Hunger Games is lost on anybody. Everyone knows the story. Yeah. Um, I was shocked that he made my list, and I went back a couple times and said, are you sure you're going to keep self? Are you gonna, sure you're going to keep Hamish in this list? And I said, yeah, I am. That's interesting, yeah. I like him No, that's that, that, like, now that I think about it, like, yeah, being a previous champion of this battle royale, yeah, what's led him down this path to be like the trainer of champion or the of the newcomers? That like that that's that's an interesting kind of like mentor apprentice kind of kind of dynamic that they set up. And then what the capital put him through mm-hmm. is sort of this walking billboard for all things capitalistic that basically had to do with being pimped out. Yeah, the, I, I just there's such a good story to be told yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, love it. Thank you. Right, number one for me, you had to take this back to 1987, and number one is Mr. Joshua from Lethal Weapon. Oh. No, Matt, it's a joke. Oh, it's a like, joke. really? It's a joke. I'm waiting for you to defend that one. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have a little, a lot of little jokes about Mr. <laughs> Joshua from Lethal Weapon. You had, good, you had me. No, number one for me, this would be great. The lead actor is dead, so I don't know who could pull it off, but I'd like to see a, a film with Quint from Jaws. Uh, Clive Owen will cast. Oh, good God! <laughs> Speaking of which, that like for, the forces of the universe keep trying to push that Gemini Man movie on me, uh-huh. whether through YouTube ads or trailers, and it looks bad first of all. But then Clive Owen's in it, and this, it just looks <laughs> dumb. I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing that film. Okay. But what an interesting story about Quint, who's gone through this very intense experience with the USS Indianapolis. To see that on screen would be pretty remarkable to shape him into the craggly old man that he becomes in jaws it's just how do you replace robert shaw as that character so i didn't even bother trying to put an actor that i thought could do it i just thought that there's a very interesting story that we've heard about that might be interesting to see on screen i yes Mm. 
the I think generally fans of Jaws all are in agreement that the best scene in that film isn't actually the shark scene. It's that one. It's the drinking mm-hmm, scene. Mm-hmm. We delivered the bomb. Yep. That scene. Uh, fantastic choice. I, I I can't say it any better than you did. Yep. Yeah. That that's a sure. I'm I'm there. The opening night. Excellent. Okay, number one for me goes for a movie that makes my top five of all timers and a character in there, and it's Burt Reynolds as Jack Horner in Boogie Nights. Mm -hmm. How he came to a position of porn director magnate and all of the working pieces around him and the assembly of this (laughs) fledgling empire that isn't really all that profitable because it's porn and there's just not that much money. Yeah. What he does in that film that I love is that could be a really easy role to sort of play the Matthew McConaughey and Magic Mike role. Yeah. And that was close to being on this list, by the way, also. I'm going to say something to the listeners and they're going to freak out. Yeah. I love that movie. (laughs) No, I really do. I love Magic Mike. Yeah. Not for the reasons that are the beefcake reasons. Yeah. I think that's a brilliant character study. Yeah. Anyway, um, Jack Horner, his meeting, Amber Waves... The acquisition of the pieces that build the empire, mm-hmm. um, the governor or whatever the hell the guy is that's in jail, that's the guy that funds them. That, yeah. uh, I forget what his name is. Um, and we both love Boogie Nights. Mm-hmm. Don't we want more stories from Boogie Nights? Sure. Sure. Yep. Good. Those are good lists. That was, that was a fun conversation. Can I have a couple honorable mentions here? Yes, yes. Go ahead. So I'm going to Jesse this out and give myself not one or two, but three honorable mentions. So this really makes my list now like seven. Yep. Um, Korg from Thor. Mm-hmm. Ragnarok, yep. Kind of for the same reasons that you like Drax, or yep. we both like Drax, there's mm-hmm. an element of that there. Yep. Peter Vincent from Fright Night. Oh, that's great. How did he get so lost later, and how did he come to be so knowledgeable early? Yes. That's great. I, I, I would love to see that. And then third, actually just mentioned him, is that Matthew McConaughey character from, from Magic, Magic Mike? Mike. Okay. Um, any honorable mentions you want to throw in there? I don't know. Like I'm pretty set with my three. I got to piggyback on the Peter Vincent. How did I forget about that one? But yeah, love Rod- it, again. Roddy McDowell, R.I.P. But like yeah. it says a lot about the actors that made these characters. You know what they are. But like the stories left untold that are worth kind of pursuing. And that kind of becomes a crux for me with a lot of these types of films like Joker and like the Star Wars prequels and like kind of trying to explain what's never been explained before and trying to put like a definition on on the answer and i always kind of is this a story better best left untold i'd kind of want to see these films so this almost feels like a list that we could expand on doesn't it sure mm-hmm. this is called a teaser yes in big time media yeah <laughs> like maybe that could be a one shot someday mm-hmm. or shh it's a teaser yeah here's to you and excellent list. good job sweet Sweet. Well, I think it's happy hour time. We've got a lot to talk about with Joker, so let's get right down to it. <laughs> I should laugh, but I cry because your love has passed me by. You took me by surprise. You didn't realize that I was waiting. Joker starts out with Arthur Fleck, played by Joaquin Phoenix, as he puts the finishing touches on his clown makeup, which will show up occasionally throughout throughout the film. But he's doing this at his, his new job, uh, which is 
kind of like a sales attraction for whatever pawn shop. And first thing, just right off the bat, if this pawn shop hopes to sell things at their pawn shop, don't use a clown. Amen. No one's going to come into your shop. I right. thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> but we kind of just see right from the get-go just like how, gro- like I'll call it grotesque, how jo- Joaquin Phoenix is in this, just like the physical form that he has. He's just so skinny in this thing. So to that, mm-hmm. some of that fits the character, but some of that I think is what Hollywood really likes when it comes to award season. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hollywood really likes the body dysmorphic from the <laughs> actor bit, don't they? they? Like malnourished actors. Yeah, like Tom Hanks in Castaway <laughs> or Tom Hanks in Philadelphia. Or, or Ma- McConaughey in Dallas Buyers Club. Exactly. Yep. Right, so I think we're already setting up what is kind of a traditional quintessential moment in actors filmography role okay and i will argue and i'm going to ask you right now okay that this is a really good performance oh yeah from an actor in hollywood that somehow and maybe it's because of the appearance on david letterman and his weirdness is not isolated to that moment yeah that i think kind of goes unrecognized and here's here's my argument for that and then i'm going to ask you this yeah Let's go back to Walk the Line. Sure. Reese Witherspoon was showered with praise in that film. Mm-hmm. He's every bit, if not better, than she is right. in that film. Yeah. And literally nothing. Yeah. Her. Mm-hmm. I don't love that movie, but he's really good in her. Yeah, yeah, And we could keep on going. Now, there's been some missteps. Yeah. Um, I'm not there, whatever that crazy period was. Yeah. Um, Do you, you don't like the master either. I think I think he's good in it, but like, well, that's what I was gonna say. No, I I actually hated the master. We didn't even finish it. it was so bad, but I really yeah. was hopeful to see it. But he's not bad in that movie. Yeah, yeah. But you don't hear him as far as the names of those. Like Johnny Depp holds a place, good and bad, for whatever of like one of the all timers currently. Yeah. Daniel Day Lewis, although he's I guess quote unquote retired. Yeah. So here's the moment. Okay. Is he? the best current popular working male actor talent-wise in Hollywood right now for you? For me, maybe not number one, but definitely in the top like three to five. Yeah, I don't know who number one would be either, but yes. Yeah. I agree. There's I, a lot of like, there's a lot of actors that like I'll actually seek out their work. Like I, you know I like Michael Fassbender a lot. Well Clive Owen. Oh yeah. Yeah, he's number one. But yeah, there's a few that really kind of fit that that like they they always bring it and they offer something kind of new to like the roles that they're in, and he certainly does that, and certainly here, um, he's even really good. Way young, Joaquin in To Die For. Have you yeah. ever seen To Die For? To die, Nicole Kidman. Yeah, yeah, that one. He's great in Gladiator. Right. Yep. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I didn't. Mm-hmm. Right. No, yeah, he's had a very interesting career. You know, being the brother of River Phoenix and. You know how that that kind of went went off the rails with all his addictions and everything, but no, yeah, he's it, 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 odd choices to say the least. Yes, and uh, and he kind of seems like an odd guy already. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, kind of like bizarre in his in his own right. Yeah, but we kind of get that right at right at this beginning get go, and then he's or these kind of delinquents steal his sign and he chases after it in the clown shoes, which I was trying to think. I was like, man, those be, those be really hard, hard to run. Hard to run in, yeah. As did I. And yeah, he's bashed over the face with his sign and then just kind of beaten to, not a pulp, but he's given, he's given a walloping, like got some pretty nasty bruises on him. And this is kind of our introduction to, to the character. Do you kind of like this kind of like in for Arthur Fleck? I do, and here's what I really like about it. 
a lot of time, let me give you this and then I'll, I'll support this with what I'm giving you. Okay. A lot of times we see actors try to play sports characters in films and you can tell they've never thrown or caught a ball in their entire life. Yes, yes. So that's why when you get one that can, they look so good doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, go watch The Replacements. Oh, yep. Right. Okay, so anyway, that's just not the most athletic set that's ever set foot on a movie set. Mm-hmm. I think Joaquin Phoenix is so talented at what he does in this movie that the difference between him running in those clown shoes, awkwardly, heavy-footedly, leadenly-footed, doesn't change because we see a sequence later in the film when he steals the file of his mother. Yeah. And he's terrible at running in that scene as well. Yeah, and down that hallway. (laughs) And you can tell he's trying to be... Like, that's not act... No one runs like that. Yeah. He's trying to break the floor with every Is this like Keanu Reeves running in John Wick? (laughs) Yes. Okay, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Okay, and that's a whole other thing, but maybe that's because his knee is blown in that movie and he's actually acting as well, or maybe he just can't run. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, In this, I I really do see a diligent effort put forth in the physical appearance Mm -hmm. of him as the Joker. And isn't that a really key component of making a believable Joker? Yeah, I think think the the Joker boils down to a lot of of components, which I think we're going to get into the many iterations but a lot of it's the makeup the look the sure. the costume colors i think too yeah exactly and then yeah the physicality of it all well said yeah. is it more flamboyant is it more uh psychotic is it more kind of lucid um I yeah there's s- a spectrum right jared leto to heath ledger jared leto's not on the spectrum well but i mean no, 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 no i know he's a, awful not on we my both spectrum agree. but well, those are all the different yeah, exa- characterizations it, of him exactly yeah 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 like there's there's so many different ways to kind of come in at, at this character and this is kind of where we're coming in with with arthur fleck now so now we're kind of introduced a little through like various like uh like a montage and uh like television footage of kind of the state of gotham city right now which is they're in the midst of a garbage strike and then i love this the super rats <laughs> mm-hmm. i wanted to see the super rats i was kind of disappointed we didn't get to see them but this is kind of what's like overrunning gotham at this point as he's meeting with his social worker kind of going through all his his issues and his traumas um i kind of want to stop right here matt being uh so here's our picture of arthur fleck we have him at this pretty shitty job. He's treated like 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 scum by these kids. His social worker's not really listening to him, but prescribing whatever medication he needs at this point. Arthur's starting pretty low on on the spectrum right here. And for me, maybe maybe we'll disagree, but I think Arthur stays pretty low through the middle. And then at the end, he's still low, but with a different kind of like status in his head, but it's still low. Something I would have liked to seen to kind of give Arthur a little more fleshed out character arc is to actually kind of see him on top of something. You know what I mean? Like kind of like uh, uh, maybe kind. Uh, I'm doing a bit of a, a sour mash here with him, but maybe start the character out like at some good job. He loses it. Wife walks out on him. And he, we literally see him go from the, the creme de la creme down to I can only get a job as this stupid street clown. Riches to rags. Yeah. Sure. To kind of see him go from someplace because I feel like we just kind of see him at this one part in his life and the factors that kind of push him to take on this Joker persona are are cruel by, you know, all the players involved. But I would like to have seen kind of kind of something kind of something there starting and then and then we go there because that's a version of the Joker we've 
kind of never well, maybe i don't know jack nicholson was a he plays the gangster joker jack napier and and he's kind of like at the top of like his food chain other than jack palance and then kind of assumes the joker but i think i would have bought into the arthur fleck character a little bit a little bit more personally had i kind of seen a bit of a like a, a roller coaster with him i can't argue with any of that yeah. i think that could have been done equally well here's <coughs> the thing with the joker and the promise and the challenge of this film mm-hmm. When you take a character that is as obscure as his legacy is, and I think you can probably say the defining origin moment up to this movie for the Joker is probably the killing joke. Yeah. Okay, which, is that fair? Which this film borrows a few elements Pieces from that. Of, mm-hmm. right. So, but, but even in that story, there's not a whole lot of this is who Arthur Fleck is. It's just... Yeah. Or we, you know, we really don't even kind of know the name. So I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with anything that you said there. Yeah. I think... You said something in that last bit that, that that struck a nerve with me. And it was like, or not a nerve, but like piqued my interest. Yeah. And that was like to see him on top of something. Yeah. I think for me, it's a fair criticism from you. Mm-hmm. I get that because what we see him on top of later in the film, for me, that was enough. Yeah. Was the cop car. Yeah. In a very interesting way. And for me, what this movie did really well is present him as the champion of the downtrodden, the forgotten, the misanthropic. Yeah. And no question that was Todd Phillips' goal in writing this version of the Joker. Mm-hmm. I I have to give so much respect to Todd Phillips for, you know, I don't know where you're going to go at the end of this film, but okay. I mean, I, yeah, I, I yeah. think the, the listeners are probably kind of already queuing into where I am at on this movie. Yeah. To take a character that is as quintessential in the, not even Batman, just the villain pantheon yeah. of villains in fiction yeah. and define him in a way that might be canon depending on how much money the movie makes or how much it doesn't. If you look at the press releases from Warner Brothers and yeah. fuck them on not wanting to just double down on let's go for it. Yeah. I have to give him such a such a nod to of respect for finding a way that delivered... Even if you hated the movie, a very memorable character of the Joker. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Poor, broken, weird body. Yeah. Weird. But here's what I really like about the Joker. The easy hanging fruit, the low to pick fruit on this is mm-hmm. he's always been crazy and psychotic. Yeah. At the beginning of this movie, mm-hmm. he's not. Yeah. There's a weirdness there with him and his mother. Yeah. You don't hate him at the beginning of this movie. No, yeah. And all he's really looking for, and he tells Thomas Wayne later, we'll get to this, I'm sure, Mm -hmm. is a little warmth, a little light, a little compassion. Yeah. And he can't find it anywhere. Mm -hmm. Can't find it from his job. Yeah. One of his coworkers is going to sell him out in a few minutes. Mm -hmm. He's just forgotten. Yeah. Disregarded. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I, I don't dislike what you said either. Yeah. I think in this in this regard, I'm okay with Todd Phillips chose to do. No, yeah, and it's it just kind of shows like how much of a different angle you can come in with the character too. Because on screen, at least, we haven't kind of seen this path into into the Joker. Like as and like you mentioned, his order whether it's the red hood and falling <clears throat> and getting bleached white, yeah, or you know whether in the films and and kind of Ledger's interpretation on on like his scar story. There's so many different ways you can come at this, and I think that. Think of can you think of any other villains that kind of offer that opportunity to have multiple iterations of the same character? It's, it's funny you asked me that because I was going to give you the same question, so you beat me to the punch. Yeah, actually, you know, so let me do you the same thing you just did to me. Yeah, off mic, sometimes on mic, you and me talk all the time about 
man, I'd like a crack at that story. Sure. Please, Marvel, give us Moon Knight. Yeah. And we kind of laugh yeah. or whatever. I'll even take Cloak and Dagger. I'll mm. make it cool. Mm-hmm. Can you think of a more intimidating origin story to write yeah. at this point than the Jokers? The, I actually tell you, I don't know if I want that gig. The only solace in that is we could kind of be free and loose with it, and it could we could kind of make it our own. Whereas, like when you tackle something like a Thanos, Thanos is a Thanos, and right. he's kind of that. There's not a lot of like wiggle room without that interpretation of that character. Here, because based on, you know, Jerry Robinson's creation of him in the 40s and... Cesar Romero? I got to tell you, like, I've been in, like, like rye overload this week. I've done a lot of extra research to prepare for this review. I watched the original uh, The Man Who Laughs for the silent film, which was the original inspiration for the Joker, Conrad Beat, who played him with this kind of this... He has a permanent grin. Uh, it's a, me- a medical condition. And then also, and this is going to come up a little later, I rewatched uh, Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver. Because mm-hmm. I, was, I was watching the trailer, I was like, there's some interesting kind of parallels between both of these films. Clearly, And I want to kind of get into kind of where those kind of both fit. But no, yeah, it just it's, it's a character that he's an enigma. He doesn't have a defined origin. I think that's one of the reasons why I've always liked him, too. In my wildest dreams... And in my overinflated belief in my writing ability, yeah. which I'm admitting to you is overinflated, okay. okay, like my hubris. Yeah, I have to tell you, in all honesty, sitting in that room taking the meeting to be the guy that pinned the Joker mm-hmm. would scare me to death. Yeah. I'll do Moon Knight because I can kill it. Because yeah. who the fuck cares about the Moon Knight? Yeah, but the Joker, man, that's a big, big, big hurdle to go over. Yeah. So just that being said. And because you you like that character, yeah. In some ways, and to some people, is bigger than even Batman. Yeah. And there's so much about like, oh, we hate Batman because this casting of this particular who's the next, um, what's the next guy? Uh, oh, Pattinson. Yeah, Robert Pattinson. Yeah. Which I'm actually, I think the the story that I've read on that sounds superb. I think that. But could people be. are already like, oh my god, they do that. Jo- they do it for everyone. Everyone. Right? Everyone. Yeah. The Joker's the same thing, isn't it? Yep. Well, so. <laughs> That to me is truly terrifying because if you miss, yeah, not only is Warner Brothers going to be like, yeah, he's a bad writer and throw you right under the bus, yeah, you're sunk and you've just created the legacy, you've you've created the Ben Riley and the Spider Clone <laughs> ben, series ben for the Joker, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, Jesse, yeah. like you that's know, you such know, a curse. You know what's interesting that you said though, like every time the Joker's kind of been done on film other than Suicide Squad, because he is such a dynamic figure in comics and in lore he really overshadows batman in all of those iterations like he he chews the scenery as a character so well that batman's very second fiddle when he shares the movie with the joker look i totally agree with you i agree with you so much that if we weren't allowed to make the list on the flights that we do every week yeah he would be number one on this. Yes. I bet he's your number yeah, one too. He's pretty, yeah, he's there. Right? So yeah. yes, he steals the scene every time he's on the scene. And mm-hmm. to, by the way, yeah. this is a little shot to it. Yeah. It's so nice to see like a cool evil clown. <laughs> Not a space eight-legged clown. <laughs> space clown? Yeah. Nice. I like it. Or killer I, clown from outer space. I'm not going to disagree with you on any of those. So, 
Let's get back to the story. Let's introduce the rest of kind of Arthur Fleck's uh, tendencies. So he has this condition, and I'll just call it like Tourette's of the laughs. Yeah. And he's got this kind of in- involuntary way of just kind of laughing when he's stressed out or uncomfortable. And it shows up in some very inopportune moments. But the first on this bus with this kind of this uh, mother and child. Yeah. So he carries this card. It's almost like a something you would give someone to let them know you have like diabetes uh, and, mm-hmm. and you need insulin or anything like that, kind of saying this is my condition. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of the card, but I was, I was as I was sitting there, I was kind of wondering. I was like, I wonder if there could have been a more unique way to kind of introduce that idea. Hmm. Maybe like he hears it from the social worker or his doctor, and then it's kind of doing. But it's still confusing to him. Like even he can't like mentally process what is wrong with him. Um, but I'm willing to I'm willing to go with that at this point. Let me say this about Joaquin Phoenix, and it's something Todd Phillips definitely tapped into, and I kind of wonder by the end if they almost overused it. Like Joaquin Phoenix has a really great laugh here. Like it's it's it sounds painful the way it comes out, almost like it's just coming from the bowels of the digestive tract to kind of make this laugh happen. Yeah, and it's creepy. It's menacing. But it's, it's also kind of sad, too. It is. Yeah, it's not a kind of a, a joke. Like, I'm going to reference the different jokers, but, like, Jack Nicholson saying, Antoine's a little hot under the collar. And then he gives, like, the Joker laugh kick line. Like, there was kind of none of that in this film. It's coming from a very visceral, uh, dark place within, within Arthur, which I, I found very interesting. Visceral, dark place mm-hmm. speaks to a genre in a film, which is drama. Mm-hmm. To take... A superhero villain and turn it into a really compelling, interesting, dramatic interpretation, I think is superbly done mm-hmm. by Phillips. Mm-hmm. I don't disagree with any of that. And one of the things also that I saw in this film is Phillips creates a question in the audience's mind of what actually is the truth yeah. and what actually is self-induced or self-righteous or self-protected fantasy yeah and that's going to be a theme that goes through with the legacy to family of the joker which i know we're going to get to here in a few minutes Mm -hmm. so with what you just said there did somebody in one of these publicly funded social workers disguised as therapists Say, hey, I heard this thing one time where sometimes people in real pain Mm -hmm. have this mental condition that makes them laugh uncontrollably. Yeah. And he hears that in an, you know, as a one off. Yeah. And then makes that the excuse for why. Yeah. I I, I don't disagree with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think Um, it's a unique way into the Joker laugh. Yes. Mm -hmm. I also really like how they do it, though, in the movie. Mm -hmm. He's just playing with this little kid. Yeah. And this woman kind of gives him some grief about it. Mm -hmm. And then. He starts laughing and she's like, do you think that's funny? And you can see him. He's shaking his head like, no, I don't think it's funny. Yeah. Ripped at the seams of his soul and he hands her this card. Mm -hmm. I want to tell you, I read an interesting couple. Like before we do this, I usually get online and read a few reviews. Sure, yeah. The different takes from whether it be the New York Times, which I, you all should go read that review and then burn it. (laughs) Whatever, right? That that is... A depiction of like a poor depiction and a racist depiction of black people on the bus, I think speaks to the every manness of the downtrodden or the misanthropic that the Joker, in my opinion, is represented by Todd Phillips mm-hmm. in this story. Yeah. To take that and make that be your 
takeaway from legacy and theme in this film over that scene is not I mean they use it as a knock against why this film is bad. Yeah. But if that's what you're drawing from it, it's hitting you at a very yeah. contemporary real state in today's society. Mm-hmm. Man, I thought they did such a good job of that in this movie. Go ahead and introduce uh, the the mother relationship now, Penny Fleck. Okay, so by the way, I really like that actress because I was a huge fan of Six Feet Under, mm-hmm. and that was the wife in Six Feet Under. Yeah. Um, I also really liked her in the first season and only the first season of American Horror Story. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's right. She was the maid. Yeah, she was. Old, the, the, the ugly maid, the, not the hot yeah, maid. I was say, yeah, the <laughs> right? ugly maid. Which was one of the things that really worked well in that first definitely, season. Definitely, definitely. Oh, and by the way, while I'm on that, I just yeah. have to ask you, yeah. have you started AHS I haven't yet, no. Jesse, yeah. Yeah. you have to do it because... I, I made it two episodes and said later, mm. but that is so up your alley that's with my will, slasher horror. That's my wheelhouse. I can't wait to see how long it is if you get to the point like, F okay. this, I'm out. Yeah. We'll I'll, talk about that. Okay. Okay. So look, it's it's an unnatural relationship. It's unhealthy. He's bathing his mother. They live in a chantate, little nothing apartment with no hope. And it just, <clears throat> it smells and tastes like regret. Yeah and indifference and forget yeah right but he loves his mother yeah undyingly yeah right yeah so we see him okay in a space where he dances with her which you know i've danced a little bit with my mom whatever i guess i'm the joker no that's what i'm saying like yeah, yeah. a kind of an unnatural mm-hmm. and unhealthy relationship but only to us yeah because they seem to be okay with it yeah now, there's all different levels of crazy, is there not? Oh, yeah. You're crazy, my crazy, everybody's crazy. Yeah. The crazy that we're seeing from him in this seems rather docile and almost loving. Yeah. And the crazy that we see from his mother, which is going to be a huge point later in the movie, yeah. if it really is there or not, mm-hmm. I don't think exists. I think she's just really invalid or incapable. Yeah. And he's the doting son. Yeah. Not quite Oedipus. There's a hint. I mean, a, a sprinkle. A, a sprinkle, yeah, yeah. Sprinkle of Oedipus in there. Yeah. But basically, everything mom does is because he takes care of it for her. And that's going to be consistent. Mm-hmm. Even up to a way to get her over the last little bit of her miserable existence, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so is that is that what you're asking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, okay, so... He has that, and then he has this, this, this neighbor who he's kind of taken a shine to, mm-hmm. and... You know, this is kind of where we start going down this path. You know, they share they share a, a few words, uh, but then later, you know, they have another encounter, and she kind of agrees to come check him out at, at the comedy club. Yeah. You know, late later in the film, maybe. Yeah, maybe. And so let's kind of pick it up a bit. And he's given a gun at his clown employment by one of his coworkers here uh, because of you know I'm getting attacked by these hooligans and this and that. Well, take it. So you you can, you know, have it to protect yourself. And, you know, he takes it and then he takes it to this hospital gig he has and it like falls out of like his his leg and on like onto the floor there. So obviously he's fired like (laughs) for for this thing. But again, it's kind of following this tragic trajectory. Again, like like I said earlier, like, man, if he didn't have it already at this shit job, he just lost the shit job because he made a poor decision. And then now he's going to get harassed by these um these Wall Street guys or these uh, Wayne Enterprise guys on on the subway. And then here's where I think the film kind of takes a turn that, you know, as a Batman fan, I don't know if, if it's portrayal, if it needed to go this way. It, they could have stayed fairly villainous because the film in its bleak kind of um, 
what was the word I wrote down here? Somber. Um, somber, and I want to almost say almost fairly unenjoyable. While I think this oh, is, yeah. while I think this is a fairly well-made film, I don't think this is one that you're just going to want to watch like all the time. Because there's not a lot of like joy. There's no light. There's no joy, and there's no like. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so he takes care of these three guys. He he goes into one of his laugh fits. They make fun of him. They're singing him the the clown. Uh, send in the clowns, and he just shoots all three of these guys. And uh, the next day, it's, he's kind of kind of seen as this vigilante clown and i don't know if they needed to go full vigilante why couldn't it have been just kind of this kind of like killer clown uh i think the film tries a real hard job to really try and humanize and almost i don't want to say hero but like anti-hero side the joker Mm -hmm. and i don't know if that's an interpretation that i'm okay with as a batman fan just because i know what path we're going on Mm -hmm. with this character Mm -hmm. and this that's that's an odd take for me to register in my brain now if they see it as like this mass murdering clown on the thing like yeah i get that because that's that's kind of what he becomes but in his own right if he sees that and he's making a name for himself He's kind of made a new place for himself with that title. The film eventually gets to that level. It's just seen from like a vigilante, almost an anti-hero's perspective. Well said. I think the anti-hero was something that I found to be interesting as well. And that's what they do create him as. So after losing, getting beat up in... Okay, so hold on before I say this. Yeah. When is this movie set? Give me a time period when this movie set. It was like 1980? Right. Yeah. Late 70s, early 80s. So it's the... It's Gotham, which is New York, even though it's not New York, at the height of pre-Giuliani riddled with filth and crime, yeah. blah, 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 whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's not, I'm not casting a vote for Giuliani. I'm just saying that's sort of the, the legacy of New York City in my mind. Yeah, it's pretty crummy. And then terrible, you know, and okay, so he gets his ass kicked by some guys while he's working his little minimum wage job dressed yeah. up as a clown, spinning a sign, which we have now. On most street corners in our town, people doing that job. Yeah. This is where I think what you just said mm-hmm. really works for me. Yeah. Anti-hero, not aside, I, there's some, we can get into that. Yeah. And I think you, you've made a fair criticism there. Where this movie is so relatable for me as said in 1980 but delivered in 2019 yeah. is whatever goes on in the subway goes on and it's these guys acting like a jerk to this girl and then him going through this period of laughter, which is because he's sad, not because he thinks it's funny. Mm-hmm. And then they begin kicking his ass and he guns him down on the subway with the gun that's given to him by his co-worker who he tells, I can't have a gun because of my mental condition, but he breaks the law and gives it to him anyway. Yep. And then it goes viral. Yep. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. idiot in mom's basement with too many hot pockets <laughs> and too many times. Yeah becomes an internet sensation Mm -hmm. now it's not the internet but essentially it's the same thing yeah and so he becomes the champion at this point of the misanthropic and the downtrodden and we start to see all these people showing up with clown masks throwing protests or revolutions against the established class yeah and that is because the three guys he guns down mm-hmm. are a representation mm-hmm. on that subway of the established class. Literally, yeah. Thomas Wayne's acolytes. Yeah. To me, that completely worked. And you're right. They did make him an anti-hero at sure. that point. And that's a very kind of unforeseen depiction of the that, Joker that, that I didn't see coming. Yeah, it's definitely new. I mean, I, I know the Joker like you do, not as well as you do, but like yeah. serial killer crazy guy. Yeah. 
And here they give him pathos and ethos. Yeah. And you know where I am with this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like you designed me a good character. Yeah. And I'm on board. Yeah, I think that that all works. It's just yeah, for me, it's that depiction mm-hmm. of like hero clown. Yeah, I don't know if I've. I think that's fair. I haven't thought about that, and yeah. I think that's a fair criticism. Do I buy that? I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah. But anyway, okay. And so then we immediately go to to this scene, and this is where you have to be careful with like Oscar Beatty type stuff. Is and again, Phoenix is putting in a, a great performance at this point. He goes into the bathroom and is kind of looking at himself, and he does like this weird like Tai Chi like dance. And this com- yeah. this comes up a, a couple times. Yeah. And I know, I know what they're doing for. I know what Hollywood does, and it just it, they're trying to be weird for the sake of weird in this moment for me. Where I I just it's just it's kind of taking up time. Yes. You, you know what I mean? Spending some time. Yeah. Because we don't we don't know why he likes to kind of jo- joke or, or dance da- dance with himself or this is a release of tension because that's not told to us. That's fair. It's just kind of like a weird bodily movement and, and it's it's weird and unnatural. But I want to know I want to know the why between it all. But let's kind of get to the big the big moment of this this film here, which is you know he goes home again and uh, I'm trying to remember I just saw this movie two day, two days ago and what happens first, but. Let's introduce Murray Franklin real quick, okay. played by Robert De Niro, and he kind of runs this kind of like almost like Johnny Carson show, mm-hmm. late night show, and it's like him and his mom's like kind of ritual. They're always watching it. Mm-hmm. They like it. And tell me what you think, Matt. In that first instance, did he really go see a live taping or was, did you think that was like his brain of how that scenario would work out? Okay. I don't know. Yeah. Because that's what starts to happen now mm-hmm. is where you blur the lines between what actually happened and what their interpretation of what happened is. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with just for this. I think he actually was there. Mm-hmm. But here's where I hedge my bets a little bit. Murray is pretty kind to Arthur in the middle of a live taping performance and stands him up yes. and puts the spotlights on him and gives him a chance to sort of speak to all of America watching. Yeah. And I got to ask you, with what we see about Murray, yeah. is there any indication in this movie yeah. that he is that magnanimous or that kind? Yeah. No, he's a dick. Yeah. So I want to err on the side of this is kind of playing out in, in his brain. This is This happens. Can I tell him now? Yeah, yeah. This happens with every instance of him and the neighbor down the hall. Mm-hmm. Um, what's her name again? Beats? Yeah. Because as he beats. Yeah, I forget what her name is in the movie. I'll look it up. doesn't matter. But every romantic interlude or moment of compassion between the two of them they share in the movie are all just iterations of his wild, crazy imagination. Mm -hmm. So why wouldn't this be? If he is... Sophie. Sophie, thank you. Mm -hmm. If he is the downtrodden, the forgotten, the misanthropic, Mm -hmm. it doesn't make any sense for Murray to throw him a bone and let him say his spiel mm-hmm. in front of God and everybody on national TV. Yeah. So the answer to that question is probably it didn't happen. Exactly. Yeah. So about the only joy he has and yeah. you you hit something on that you just you just brought something up that really I hadn't thought of this either. Okay. The dancing bit, right? Yes. You guys have all seen the trailer and he's dancing down the steps and splashing the water and doing his weird dance. <laughs> There's a lot of Joker dancing. In yeah. your recollection of the Joker and Batman, is there a lot of dancing? Not, not that I recall. Okay. Yeah. Not me either. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's a different interpretation maybe with the anti-hero. Mm-hmm. If you really want to buy into the dancing bit 
to mean something. Yeah. There's only one scene where we see him dancing with its mother, with with, with Arthur dancing with his mother, and it's well on the way <clears throat> to already becoming the Joker. I almost wish right now that we had maybe seen an early version of Arthur and Mom dancing, oh. even to the theme of the uh, the Murray show. Oh, that'd been good. Right? Because then you get like, that's his escape. Yeah, yeah. So that might be a bit of a miss. Yeah. It, it shows up. Like, like, like a flashback of him as like a kid? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that could have been good. Set it up and pay it off because that's yeah. paid off. Because I come myself thinking like, boy, he... And he's kind of bad at dancing mm-hmm. in a really <laughs> good way. Yeah. Like a Julia Louise Dreyfus kind of way. <laughs> oh, that's good. Right? A skill that's being bad at that. Yep. So maybe if we build that up in the background, then it has... I mean, this is very, very petty kind of things. Yeah. But maybe it isn't because he does dance quite a bit in this film. Yeah. I think I sidetracked the whole conversation. Sorry. No, that's good. That's good. So let's get to kind of like the big part of the film, I think, which is going to be kind of like my divergent path, which is the introduction of the Thomas Wayne character. Okay. So Thomas Wayne is the Thomas Wayne we know, uh, but now he's kind of seen this uprising as like a call to action to run for mayor. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of what I want to bring like the taxi driver comparison. So this was an interesting watch because Travis Bickle and Arthur Fleck have very similar kind of cues, whether it be social awkwardness and, you know, this kind of obsession with women mm-hmm. that become takes on an almost stalker-like tendency, mm-hmm. an obsession with guns and firearms, and then an, accept, uh, an obsession with the political figuring. In uh, Taxi Driver, it's Palantine. He's running for, for the, uh, the presidential seat. And in this one, it's Thomas Wayne, who's kind of got this mayoral goals. Um... The big crux that we're going to get is in the form of this letter um, from from Penny uh, that she used to work at the the Wayne Manor, and Arthur is the illegitimate son of Thomas Wayne. Now we're trying to kind of bring in the Batman mythos that everyone knows and kind of tie it. Now, Matt, I got to tell you, and it's my problem I have with with Star Wars at times too. Okay. Gotham City's 10, 10 to fifteen million people large. Yeah. How damn mm-hmm. small is this town where mm-hmm. yeah. Thomas Wayne is therefore possibly the father of who's going to ultimately be the arch nemesis to his son's grown-up vigilante? Like, it's so convenient and contrived. And I know why the studios do it because you have to throw in those pepperings of what the fans know. But the suspension of disbelief is so razor thin at this point for me that I'm like, the film is going on a path where it didn't need this. It didn't need this element because, honestly, Matt, later we find out it's not even true. We kind of go down this path of false positives and whatever, and I kind of wonder when I was sitting there, I was like, did we even need this 30-minute quest of, is Thomas Wayne my dad? And I know why he's seeking it out because, look, what you said earlier, he's seeking that that, uh, 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 paternal figurine in his life Mm -hmm. for comfort. Mm -hmm. But, man, we're going down some stuff that's, not going to really pay off and it's going to pay off in an odd way at the end of the film and our legacy characters that are heroes in comicville especially whether it be peter parker to norman osborne Mm -hmm. or in this case sort of a reverse of that if you believe that this is true that arthur fleck is the illegitimate son of thomas wayne and thus bruce wayne is his half brother well i guess yeah no half brother yeah and that explains the symbiotic relationship between the two of them. I, I don't. I think everything you said is a suspension of disbelief. Yeah. Here's what might make this more frustrating for you, or yeah. maybe in my case, mm-hmm. 
quelled the rising tide of disbelief. Yeah. And that is what I've sort of said earlier. Who do you know that's accurate in their depiction? Because he thinks through his mother and kind of a a big moment where it's sort of revealed that he's the illegitimate son of Thomas Wayne and now explains why mom's incessant rants about we've got to contact Thomas Wayne because he will fix this for us. We just have to get in contact with him is because in Arthur Fleck's mind, he's the illegitimate son. But then we get into the mental capabilities of the mother Mm -hmm. and we see him in the scene that I mentioned where he's a really bad runner, not in the Joker (laughs) shoes. Yeah. Steal her mental file from, I guess, a social worker in some building. They're in Arkham. Okay. Oh, is it an Arkham? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you. Steal her her file that says she suffers from manic delusions and blah, 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 like mental conditions. And so now comes into question, is any of that true? Mm Mm-hmm. I don't I don't need, I don't have an answer for that. Here's one more element to that that makes this the layer cake, if yeah. you will, for me. Yeah. There's a picture that Arthur keeps of his mother as a very young woman. Mm-hmm. Like on his vanity. Yeah. Kind of that rocky moment of here's here's the Italian stone, here's a baby. Like yeah. that bit, right? Yeah, and is is this the one that was signed by Thomas Wayne, right? I love your smile. T W. Yeah. That does kind of reek of Slight inappropriateness. It's pretty on the nose too. Smile, Joker. Like we're really. I know. I know what we're doing, but like it's. It's so. This is so on the nose right now for me. And again, I mentioned Star Wars. Like you know, the Skywalker. Like oh, it, everyone's a Skywalker in some level. And the, the, this huge galactic conflict that it like goes through like five people of this family. <laughs> like that's stupid. Okay, fair. But like this, I, I'm down with this. Why couldn't it just been some whatever whatever mayor? Like, the fact that they try and bridge the gap of Thomas Wayne to have that connection. They did the same shit in Tim Burton Batman where Jack Napier kills Bruce's parents in the street so they could have more of a conflict in the finale. You don't need that. The characters already breed that conflict through their natural clashing. I just, like, I I don't need this part. And then it's, can I keep going for a second? Oh, yeah, man, take it, yeah. Uh, Because then it gets to the scene that I think is just the worst scene in the film and it just does not need to be here. And this is Arthur going to Wayne Manor where he meets young little Bruce Wayne and, assumably, Alfred. You kind of get that was Alfred. For sure it's Alfred. No question. Well, he's British. So he does some little, like, magic tricks with him and a smile thing. So he's trying to get into the Wayne Manor to talk with Thomas and tell him he's his son. And we get this kind of playful kind of back and forth between Bruce and and, and, the, and Arthur. And I'm just sitting there wondering, like, wh- I know why this is here. But it's the reasons that derail a lot of these prequels for me, which is the necessity to show uh, fan service, to pigeonhole all these terms and this and that in. Fantastic Beasts did this. The first Fantastic Beasts film was actually really good. I think I could count on one hand the amount of references to the original films and books uh, that we see on screen. In Fantastic Beasts 2, they said, fuck it. Give the fans what they want. And then it becomes fan service. Okay. You're not able to tell a coherent story because you have to include yes. and, and check the boxes. And I think this film was on a path where it didn't need to do that. Okay. I, I just... Just say, I, I, I'm not going <clears> to <throat> disagree with any of that. Because then, and then, and it's speaking along the suspension of disbelief, if Bruce is eight, 
Joaquin Phoenix, Arthur's 44, when he eventually becomes Batman? Is he fighting a 75-year-old Joker? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's it's it, even farther stretched out for Is me. Arthur 44 in this film? Well, I, I just looked up Joaquin Phoenix's age. He's a 44-year-old man. Okay. If, if he's playing himself, like, that's, okay. that's another conflict that's hard for me to buy into. I don't think we needed the Bruce Wayne story in here. Okay. I or, think... Or we... Yeah, I'll just say that. Yeah, I don't think... Uh, prequels if you want to dabble in these characters i think the character and we just established the joker as being the creme de la creme Mm -hmm. that he doesn't need all this kind of side support work to carry a film on his own so i can give the stupid pat response which is well the studio needs to make money and tie the universe blah blah right and obviously that's why he goes to the wayne manor um i i will say this yeah i think this movie for you Mm -hmm. is in some ways what uh, Mysterio was for me in the last Spider-Man movie. Sure. Batman is to you as Spider-Man is to me. So, yeah. like, you're a Spider-Man fan, but I am... Way more than me. And I'm a Batman fan, but not nearly to the level that you are. Yeah. So, I think you and I are walking in each other's shoes here. Sure, yeah. Okay, so... Um, when Arthur Fleck shows up at the gates of Wayne Manor mm-hmm. in hopes of... I guess contacting Bruce Wayne. Yeah. I'm sorry, Thomas Wayne. Yeah. I will say at least it's set up. Mm-hmm. No, it's set up. Okay, so now the payoff then is the question. Yeah. Because his mother has told him ad nauseum, we got to get a hold of this guy because if he saw how we were living, he wouldn't let this happen to us. Yeah. And so she's painted a picture in her mind of what Thomas Wayne is, mm-hmm. which is philanthropic and magnanimous and kind and, and generous and yep. all of these things. Yep. And that's generally the Thomas Wayne that's depicted in the Batman mythos. Yeah. Now we're getting into that territory that really troubles me in the Batman. And I don't want to watch Bruce and Martha Wayne get shot in that alley and the pearls descending to the ground as they're bloodstained one more flipping time. But oh, do you get it? But, you know, (laughs) it's part of the thing. So it's like, how many times are you going to watch Peter get bit by the spider? It's the same exact thing. Can I tell you, I thought about that. I thought about you when that scene happened at the end. I was like, oh, here we go. Because we've made the joke that like unborn kids in the womb, like know that story already. (laughs) Like, like whether it's Batman 89, Batman Forever, Smidges and Batman and Robin, Batman Begins, Batman versus like they it's like we know it. Right. And then uh, th- I think that's another cheat. Well, let's get to that. But Well, hold on. Let me finish this one thought. Yeah, we'll go, go ahead. There. Go ahead. So for me, and, and I think I can't argue with anything that you said. It's well supported. You're, you're spot on. And that's the place where it's okay for me mm-hmm. is at this point I've bought in to the Joker. I'm sorry, Arthur Fleck. Yeah. Just trying to find some warmth and some compassion and I've taken on so maybe the anti-hero thing has worked for me yeah. maybe I'm admitting that to you right okay. now yeah. that if this guy this is going to sound so ridiculous <laughs> okay. but think about it as a metaphor okay. could just get a hug he'd be better yeah he can't and he's trying to seek one out from his dad and he like there's a moment a little bit later that parallels this mm-hmm. so it definitely is Alfred at the gates and so Alfred comes in to protect young Batman from his brother as this movie might possibly pose if the mother isn't crazy. Here's my question though. Wait, yeah, stay yeah, with me. Yeah. I got to ask you. Yeah. Is mom crazy or not? Yeah, she's totally nuts. She's disillusioned too. Okay. I don't know if I believe that she's as crazy 
as you would need to believe that he is not the brother of Thomas Wayne. The movie was effective for me in creating enough question as to who is right and who is wrong in this and who is interpreting it. Because when we see all those elements of Arthur with the girl from the apartments. Yeah, yeah, Sophie. None of it happened. It's all in his mind. Yeah. So what's in whose mind? Who's crazy? Is the mom really that crazy? Because I don't have evidence other than a folder well, that the mom really is crazy. So what, all I'm saying is, I, I, I don't know. What I am saying is, I think there is enough question at this point in my mind as to who I should believe that I'm able to buy into that scene a little bit more. But okay. everything you said with the Skywalker yeah. is absolutely right in this moment as well. But You're right. I'm also going to say you don't need that scene because the very okay. next scene is the Charlie Chaplin movie theater mm. with the Joker people protesting. I love the way he watches him and smiles in that too. Yeah. He's literally saying, that's my guy. This is this is me. And that's Taxi Driver. There's a scene yes. where ta- Bickle's walking on the street and he kind of catches a glimpse of like this kind of delinquent and he just kind of gives him that look and the camera pans in the identical way to him and he's just like i'm gonna get that fucker. jesse there's even the part in the movie theater where he takes civil shepherd to the porno yeah like so the, like, let's, like parallels are yes and right. the, the finger guns the finger suicide yes. guns they, they do that like their social awkwardness is very similar because they're so out of tune with society and how people are supposed to act yeah like you don't take a woman on her first date especially civil shepherd to a porno theater you know what i mean it Travis is so out of tune with that, and but what I like about Taxi Driver compared to the Joker is how subtle, uh, like his reasonings are. Yeah. He's a Vietnam vet, but if you if you like tune out for like four seconds, you miss that part. Okay, um, it's why we like that era of film. It's yes. it's very socially charged commentary without being so on the nose about it. It's smart. It's done very eloquently, and Scorsese's. Which I found these comparisons interesting because he's a producer on this film too. And there's also comparisons too to The King of Comedy with Robert De Niro's character and this obsession with this comedian that he eventually takes hostage. Which, okay, so let me me stay on track here. I'm saying we don't need the Bruce scene because he eventually goes and he has this conversation with Thomas Wayne anyway in the bathroom where he tells him, I'm Mm -hmm. not your father, kid. So I just... When he tells him in that (coughs) scene in the bathroom... Yeah, I mean, look at us. Did you look at Joaquin Phoenix's nose and the guy that played Thomas Wayne's nose? And did you start shit? They kind of did you find yourself saying a little they bit? They kind of do look alike. Yeah, because I did. Yeah, and that just feeds into well, a lot of people look alike in the right moment. If you say, "Hey, you look like this person," then you automatically drawn to like you kind of do have the same eyes, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Because what are you going to say? Like, oh no, your ears are different. Like, it's it's sort of a, a false trap to fall into. Yeah. But they kind of do look alike. Yeah. And to me, that just furthered the like, man, is he? Mm-hmm. And so you brought up the Skywalker legacy. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of close to the like, man, maybe Darth Vader is Luke's father. And the questions that I had as like an eight or nine year old when that movie came out and how long and often... I thought about that, never thinking to look into like the German iteration of like Dark Father, which is Darth Vader, right? Um, yeah. I found myself not quite that because that's a really impactful moment in film for all of us. But I find myself sort of in that space. But it doesn't matter at the end of the day because okay. he finds out he's adopted anyway. Maybe. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. I like what you said too about the mother. I think we could have done with a few more flashback scenes of 
uh, her her raising him mm-hmm. and kind of seeing like her manipulation that he kind of picks up on his learned behavior because mm-hmm. it's kind of what he does this kind of uh, delusions of grandeur that he has of his reality yeah because it all starts falling apart he finds out or we find out he's kind of sitting in the sophie's apartment she's like you got to get out of here we find out that was all like a ruse in his head that that those encounters had never happened the way he we thought they did as an right. audience um Maybe. mom has a stroke she's in the in the hospital uh his 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 buddies kind of come over uh to kind of or oh let me back up a bit i'm getting ahead of myself so he kind of has this moment with mom about you know the parentage in the hospital and this is kind of like the 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 the, the snapping point for arthur where mm-hmm. he's just like mom you gotta you gotta go you're out yeah mm-hmm. and just smothers her with this pillow yeah yeah um, would you agree at this point that he's going like full joker now at this point like he's like he's on that path now like i think that's the final straw for him yeah yeah he finally has purpose as yeah. a man who assassinated those four thomas wayne acolytes on the subway and the misanthropic and downtrodden then wearing their clown masks and revolting against the established class mm-hmm. he has purpose yeah i gotta ask you though for me when he's so mom's had a stroke and he's sitting bedside again and we don't know how many hours it's been because at this point in the film that word maybe mm-hmm. we don't there, there isn't time there isn't indifference there isn't delineation it's just this miasma of reality versus non-reality in arthur fleck's mind yes is the suffocation of arthur fleck's mother done out of hatred or mercy for you hmm I would say mercy. I never see her as a hateful person towards him. I, think so I don't too. see it as abusive towards him. Right. It's very warm. It's a warm feeling as inappropriate as it may be at times. Okay, so we agree on that. Yeah. And I think what he gets from that moment is, sadly, yeah. a moment of satisfaction. Sure, yeah. That he's been so desperately seeking for light or love or compassion or something on the scale of what positive and negative in the human condition is. Mm-hmm. That it only, to me, further incentivizes what they've set up really well, which is like through negative deeds, I get some acceptance or acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. To that. Yeah. Yeah, so. So we've got a pretty good villain at least. Yeah, again, in full Joker mode now, his buddies come pay him a visit that his mom died or just checking on you. And the one that gave him the gun, he just lets him have it. He just slices him open and bashes his head against the thing like. Boy, that scene was really brutal, yeah, wasn't I th- it? I thought like Rob Zombie paid a visit to set that day and directed that scene. <laughs> okay, so fair. Yeah. As as <clears throat> I agree with you on yeah. that. And that's the one moment in that film. Like I was I was noticeably, as I was taking notes on myself, mm-hmm. uncomfortable in this movie. Yeah. I found myself visibly like 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 I could feel the discomfort. Yeah, I was I was not enjoying it in like the movie's bad kind of way. I was not enjoying it in a, it was just kind of like a vile kind of way. If, so that the, make, if that makes sense. <laughs> so the guy that gives him the gun in the first 20 minutes of the movie shows up to make sure that essentially in the guise of, hey, we're just coming to check on you, brother. Are you okay? Yeah, but I thought, really good, it's, I thought that was a good gesture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But really it's like, hey, you didn't rat out me, did you, mm-hmm. about giving you the gun to a, right, that whole bit? Yeah. And man, he stabs him in the eye with a pair of scissors and then bashes his head into the wall. And that, that scene could have... I'm not sure I love that scene. I'm still trying to process some of it. 
But what what I do know worked is yeah. there's two clowns that come and visit, and they've kind of bagged on this um, little, dwarfish clown yeah, the, guy, the, the, the little person movie. one, yeah. And he wants to get out of there because here's his dead like clown brother on the floor, head smashed, bloods on the wall, blood on the Joker's face. Yeah, <laughs> this is so brilliant. Mm-hmm. And he can't reach the latch on the door yeah. to let himself out. Yeah. Misanthropic, mm-hmm. downtrodden, forgotten. Yeah. So the Joker champions his cause. I'm just going to call him that now because he's in white face at this time. Yeah. Walks over, undoes the latch, and lets him out. And you're getting the king or the rise to the kingship or the legacy of mm-hmm. the king of the downtrodden. Yeah. I thought that was so in some ways not I don't know if I love it but I love the end of it and he kind of just lets him out like hey man you're the only one who was good to me you're the only one who was ever good to me yeah. and maybe then there's also the, the maybe yeah. the maybe that this movie did for me really well is yeah. God maybe if society had just been a little bit kinder to him mm-hmm. and he's even expressed that like when he's having those early meetings with the social worker that's a therapist and he's like every week I come in here yeah, and I tell you the same thing and you never listen yeah could you just give me a hug? Yeah. That's a bad way of saying it. But yeah. That's sort of where that's we're going. That's what he's asking for, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe this was a salvageable case through mm-hmm. love? Yeah. Wow. Possibly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is this like crushing Penny Pennywise's heart with friendship? <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't call him like an asshole clown yeah. to destroy him. So yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Touche. So then, yeah. So then he yeah, walks down the hallway down to those, those steps to the Hay Song of all songs. I was like, is Arthur going to like a New York Knicks game like this? Yeah. I thought this was an odd song choice. I thought they could have picked something different because, again, we get that dancing. And again, Matt, I love that you said I wish we would have seen like a setup of that to know if this is like a release of the stresses for him. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't laugh because mm-hmm. then it would make total sense. To me, he's just like dancing on the steps. And I, I thank <laughs> yeah. God, thank God the, the screenwriters and Todd Phillips had restraint that these two detectives that have been trying to question him for the entire film, that one of them wasn't Jim Gordon. I would be like, again, this this universe is just too too small if they do that. You know what I mean? Well, let me ask you, are you sure one of them wasn't? Oh, uh, well, they, they, they did say their names and I like okay. I, I didn't really recognize the, the, the names like as being like very prominent. It wasn't Harvey Bullock, Detective okay. Bullock or Ramirez. Okay. So okay. I think we're pretty good there. But um, yeah, it's like full Joker chaos in the city right now. On the subway, they're going to the to this to just kind of rally in the streets, mm-hmm. and yeah, they they take care of these cops for him as he disappears amongst the masses as his clown. Yeah. Now, one thing we've left out for nature a clown of, in the clown mask. Yeah, that's weird. Oh, that's the other thing I want to mention, and so we stay on track so we don't have a another Endgame episode on our hands. Mm-hmm. In the middle of all this, he's been invited to the Murray Franklin show because on his stand up. It was filmed and he was kind of such a loose... So bad. So bad at it that they're kind of making fun of it. Yeah. That they kind of want want him on the show to have like a segment for him to do his comedy. And he's agreed to do that in full Joker regalia. But let me talk about the look of this Joker because one of the things I was kind of on, on uh, on the fence about was kind of like the blue eye diamonds... Which has kind of never really been done before in terms of the makeup, hmm. but I want to say I really bought the look of this Joker. Yeah, um, and I've bought the look of most Jokers, and you know Jack plays it, you know, with that kind of that brimmed fedora, and Ledger has you know the 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 carved in smile with the black eyes, 
and Jared Leto has the hot topic attire with the <laughs> with the with the tattoos. It's so fucking. It's stupid. hot topic with a sh- with the sprinkle of the buckle. It's so bad. Like, but like this version, like I'm I'm on board with this. I like the yeah. look of his suit. I like the yellow um the yellow vest with the tie that he has. I like the 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 red nose. That's been that's different too. Like I like I like this look. So. That's something that um, really stuck out to me. To me, the Joker's colors are kind of red or purple and green. Yeah. And um, deviating from that allows you some possibilities. Yes, I, I agree. They do a, an interesting but clear depiction of the Joker. Yeah. It's a weird suit that's miscolored that matches it. And it's funny you mentioned the blue diamonds mm-hmm. because on his left eye, I don't know if you noticed, but his his left eye blue diamond is streaked more than the right and it almost looked like he's crying. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're there. I too. did. I did notice that. Okay, so yeah, I thought that was interesting. Well done, Todd Phillips. Yeah, and that, that's a hard thing to pin down because you have to buy into that that look of it mm-hmm. uh, of the of the character. So let's get to the Murray Franklin show. He's kind of in the green room, kind of waiting to go back. Um, uh, Murray Franklin and Mark Marin, like the agent of like. He's almost kind of like he's like the the, the behind the scenes guy. He says we, we run a pretty clean show here. You tell your jokes. Can you introduce me as Joker Murray? And Murray, can you introduce me as Joker? It's not what, even the Joker, just Joker. It's what you called me. You like get a look at this Joker. Mm-hmm. It's what you called me. He's like, yeah, sure, that's what you want. Again, we get more of the the dancing. Like it's it's like Tai Chi. He's like doing like Tai Chi. It's weird. Um, but then he goes on. And this is a great part of the film for me when he actually goes on because one of the my favorite scenes that we just kind of skipped over was him reenacting how he, how he was going to act on the Murray Franklin show. Knock, knock. Yeah. Who's there? Boom. And shoots he, himself underneath and the And he's chin. looking at no one in his uh, armchair and no one on his couch. He's like kind of going through the motions of late night talk show fair. And yeah, he's going to tell this knock-knock joke and blow his brains out. Yeah. And then until he kind of looks at the chair and he's kind of got something else up his sleeve. What I like literally, about this... Literally. What, yeah, what I like about this scene is he goes knock-knock and we think we're going to kind of get that moment. And then he goes off on like a full like manifesto at this point of just like... Ooh, well said. Yeah, he, manifesto. He, he's, he's, like, he's like, you're not a good man, Murray. And like and the people out here... You brought me out here to make fun of me. Mm-hmm. And Murray's trying to be like, you don't know nothing about me and this and that. And they keep trying to plug, cut the plug. But like Murray's like, this is good material. Like, let's run with this for a bit. Some psychologist is on the show, too, saying, like, well, you can't say stuff like that. And he's like, and I killed those guys on the subway. And he admits to it. Yeah. He's like, it's like a full confessional right now. So this whole entire bit where he goes, his this is the World Series of Arthur Flex life being on the guy that he has basically idolized as his father. He's on his show. Man, he walks out, does a little dance, and like this dancing thing and now has become kind of his thing in the movie. Yeah. And then, man, he plants a kiss on essentially like a Dr. Joyce Brothers <laughs> yeah. kind of woman. And she's like, what the fuck just happened? And the guy standing next to her who is, you know, like a some other B-list actor or whatever is kind of like, whoa, this is weird. And then we see Murray trying to monetize this awkwardness. Yeah. By making him look like an ass. Yeah. This is exactly what I thought this place was going to look like. Well, that makes one of us like he's the butt of every joke. Yeah. But he's totally unaffected by it, he being the Joker. Yeah. And so we go through the, you want to tell a joke? And he pulls out the book and like, oh, he's got a, he's got a book. Like they're continuing. And he doesn't, like he's yeah. making fun of him still. Yeah. 
And Arthur's like, doesn't matter. Yeah. And he's like, knock, knock, who's there? And he goes on your, I love what you said. It literally is his manifesto. Yeah. And then he caps Murray right in the head yeah. on set. Chaos. So he's admitted to killing three people on the subway. Mm-hmm. And now he's capped Murray in the face. And this is where, for me in the theater, I thought, fade out. Get out. Finish the movie. Like, be I, done right now. I kind of want to run with that for a little bit, for, for a second, because he does. he goes up to the camera and does something, and they cut to the... Like the standby, like signal of, of of television, and then we pan back really nicely to all the different news stations covering this on air death of Murray Franklin. That's that's when that is this what 25, 20 different camera feeds that they're showing, sort of not split screen, but kind of split screen on the screen. I was like, okay, fade out, fade out, fade out, fade out. just leave it right here. But what in this? undefined space and i think they could have faded out too sure. and still had the same feeling that you're going to get with the scene At following the end, this right where yes. all these screens are peppered with the joker and then the news anchors that if you keep panning back and then you see like all 30 of these monitors like all change to like the joker like close-up of that camera he's totally consumed the media at this point like i think we kind of get that it's this kind of call to action of the masses that saturated television at this point, which essentially is what they do. They prop him up on a pedestal, which is this cop car at the end, to kind of say, you're this king amongst losers type of type of thing. I've wrestled with myself so many times over the dark night. Yeah. And depending on the day and where I think about that film depends on what I might tell you how I feel about that movie. Yeah. The one thing I will say about that movie is whatever the Joker is or isn't Mm -hmm. from Matt Dixon's point of view on that day is he does represent chaos. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the best theme for the Joker is chaos. Yeah. Because that's where he's most comfortable. Yeah. If we go to all of these... And that's where he's best undefined too. Exactly. It's, It's hard to decipher where his intentions lie. And I thought that was a really good way for Todd Phillips to show chaos as all of these news feeds with their take on what this guy is doing and my question for the joker and i think for a lot well everybody that's familiar with the batman universe mm-hmm. and the kind of the quintessential question with the batman is fuck man why don't you just kill him and get this shit over with and then we don't have to deal with this anymore mm-hmm. and i think there's lots of answers that the the legacy between the two of them give you however this gets us to the moment where Man, just just lock, arrest him, lock him up, put him in Arkham, throw away the keys, and then you've solved it. But he always finds a way to get out. Okay, so because then there's no villain. Yeah. This does that. Okay, so maybe he's going to get arrested, but I just don't know. Mm-hmm. Back to me, maybe. Yeah. They don't fade out, though. Yeah. He gets arrested. Mm-hmm. And we're traveling to incarceration Jail. or Arkham or wherever yeah. we're going. Yeah. yeah. And... Bamo yeah. gets T-boned by a guy in an ambulance, which I think is really interesting. Like yeah. literally the embodiment of safety through public yeah. service. Transit, yeah. Right? Yeah. An ambulance, a publicly funded safety system. Yeah. Boom, hits the cop car, I guess kills the cop. They rescue the Joker, mm-hmm. pull him out, and this is the moment I talked about in the beginning of the podcast. Lay him on the hood of the car, clearly referencing the crucifixion scene from Christ. Yeah. And all of a sudden, resurrected. Yeah. On the cop car. But then they should have faded out here, too. Okay, go get out. Right. Because then they... Because then he... They do prop him up, but then he gets propped up into incarceration again. 
So we've done it twice now. Right. It's a bit of overkill. Yeah. I thought like they, they had an idea they were playing with and didn't know how to end it twice because we still got to like show like that he's still crazy. But in between all that, we get that Bruce Wayne, the killing of the parents. That, that didn't need to be in the film. You know what I mean? Okay. So yeah, to that. The yeah. Bruce Wayne killing of the parents is done by one of the... The clowns. Clown, mask clad acolytes of not the Joker specifically, but the rebellion against the established class. Yeah. And so Tom Thomas Wayne being the established class getting gunned down in a back alley has so many different meanings and they're all at this point nauseating i don't know i mean i mean to me there's i guess i'm glad it wasn't the joker for once i guess i'm glad that it wasn't jack napier but but to me there's already so much so much else going on in this scene already we didn't need him no right you're right we didn't need it it's an added thing because it was set up in that other ridiculous scene that this didn't need to be here this is this is the joker's story stop trying to tell me that they're i know they're gonna meet up like i get it you know what i mean he does Yes. Bruce Wayne doesn't need added motivation after his parents are gunned down in front of his eyes. He's got it. Look, it's oversaturation for you and me and probably most of the people <clears throat> that are listening to this. Yeah. It does, I, I mean, despite the fact that it's oversaturated, this version of why they get down, get gunned down, does work. It, like, it does make sense. It is, for me, in the context of the film, it does make sense. Yeah. And it does create a relationship between Bruce Wayne and the Joker going forward because it's the forces of the Joker and anti-establishment rebellion doing him in and the forces of the night and all of that whole like that whole miasma of whatever that is. Like, yeah. For me, it is that. Yeah. It's just another plate of a buffet that I'm stuffed with of that yeah, already. Yeah, I am too. Okay, so let's get to the end. Yeah, go ahead. He's incarcerated mm-hmm. at Arkham. Yep. Do you like this version of Arkham? Not so like, no, I like, it, not so gothic, right? Okay, yeah, not so. No, go- it, yeah. it's very like sanitary or institutionalized well, of like the seventies and eighties. Yeah. Like, no, I like I like the look of it. No, I like the look of this film. I like the look of this Gotham, and it's it's yeah. very New York of that era. Um, so there's another so. It's a black gal sitting in front of him, which clearly is in reference and maybe pauses to give you pause or gives you should give you pause. Maybe this is the same woman earlier mm-hmm. that he's having discussions <clears throat> with in the film. Yeah. But if not her specifically, then an embodiment of the same ineptness mm-hmm. of the state. Yeah. Sitting down, therapizing him once again. And she's going through her little checklist of things on her clipboard and he's just laughing. Yeah. And then we fade out, quick fade back in. I actually was sort of at a place where this this is eerily reminiscent to Psycho. I thought me. about that too. Okay, I so was like, are they going the Psycho to route? Psycho because that's a big movie for both of us. So then he goes down this hallway with these bloody footprints. How Bobby, he, I don't even know how he killed her, but I'm sure he did. Found a way. I thought there was maybe a missed opportunity here. They're playing some iteration of some clown or smile song. I can't remember actually. They should have been playing Frank Sinatra's My Way at this point. Oh, good. Because the Joker... Records in a fountain. Yeah, the Joker went out on, on, or just doing this on his own terms as the orderlies chase him through the through the, the aisles like some Three Stooges skit, but... I'm going to walk that back. Three coins in a fountain is probably better suited to Two-Face, isn't it? Yeah. But anyway, yes, okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. So then we finally fade out. We get at the end and... But we get, you know, for as much as maybe that might be frustrating, we've kind of had the third or maybe even fourth ending of this movie. Yeah. I do like that the orderlies are sort of chasing him down the hall. Yeah. And he continues to get away because that's just him. Well, it's some humor in a very humorless film. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Isn't it, well, yeah. And if you really want to be on the nose with it, Jesse... Yeah. Isn't that kind of his whole gig, the whole movie? Yeah. Like, you're really just not that funny, and in an appropriate way, you might be minimally funny? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. So let's get to the ratings. We have uh, Rock Gut, uh, Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. I'll let you go first, Matt. I loved it. I really did. (laughs) You know, on email or whatever, you all may call me out on this, but... In a in a year of what I think is Bitter. terrible films, Bitter. I mean, my my biggest hope of the year was the biggest disaster of the year. Again, I don't want to reference Serenity again. <laughs> the hell with that film. Everyone needs to listen to that episode. Yeah, it's two guys that are totally just like like thrown like off a cliff. The Twixt. Yep. Um, Man, I think this is my favorite movie of the year. Oh, cool. I absolutely loved it. It's Mm -hmm. still sitting with me today. I find myself thinking about it. I really do appreciate how well it's written. Yeah. To take something that is kind of by default falls on the side of supernatural or scientific and then all versions of reality are then dismissed because it's well space and lack of geography Mm -hmm. that isn't often out in the superhero world yeah and they really grounded him in a way that's relatable to me in today's society whether it's the virtualness of the assassination on the subway the way people like get popular through nothing on twitter or instagram today um to the calls for the forgotten misanthropic disenfranchised downtrodden to the society that seems to forget them in some ways, but then doesn't. Uh, I just, man, as much as there's been some moments that give me pause in this discussion that you and I had, yeah. I still, if I had tickets for this tomorrow, I would. I couldn't wait to go. I go loved this film. Joaquin Phoenix is superb. Mm-hmm. It's okay. You, we're going to disagree on this. I know, but. Yeah. I don't love the Heath Ledger version of the Joker. Mm-hmm. This is my favorite Heath Ledger, or this is my favorite Joker mm-hmm. by a mile. I think it's capably and aptly handed by him. It's well written. <clears throat> I didn't leave feeling wanton. I was completely sated. I loved it. It yeah. is top shelf, top shelf for 2019 for me. Awesome. Okay. I have a couple things to say here before I, I give my rating. Um, I had an interesting viewing experience watching this. Again, I'm coming at it from the Batman fan's perspective and how this ultimately fits in. First thing I want to say is, again, I love the look. I love how it's shot. And this is a film that Marvel could and would never make. Very Well, they tried with Deadpool and it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, Deadpool's a good movie, but like this is—it's so grim and 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 just down the whole way through, Gritty, right? Yeah, yeah that uh, yeah, they could never do something like this with any of their characters. The Joker lends this opportunity to Warner Brothers and DC films. Um, Before you go, one, can I ask you a question? Yeah, is the Joker the most quintessential villain in all of comicdom? You can make that argument, and you could even maybe even push that argument for film as well. Like, 
kind of you're right. Yeah. Like Hannibal Lecter's in there, Darth Vader's <clears throat> in there, but who's the closest? Is it Norman Osborn or Thanos for Marvel? Maybe. Okay, so I mean, you, no, no, just, yeah, that's just, just a quick thought. Okay, that's go. good. While I was watching, I, I had a lot of thoughts, and one that I, I realized that as much as this is a character study about Arthur Fleck, the Joker, he is Joker for but of. 30-ish minutes of the film. The Joker we know and can define as Joker. Okay. Uh, I really think the Joker needs Batman together because they are such antitheses of each other. Um, yeah. I mentioned earlier that, you know, Arthur's low, low, stays low, or how I wrote here, he starts bad, stays bad, ends up bad. That's kind of a flatline character arc for me. Okay. Where you get an arc, I think, with a character like the Joker is where you see him in opposition with a character like Batman. Okay. Because they are such polar opposites. And what where the push, push and pull is going to lie. And that's what I love about the Dark Knight, actually, is those forces are in such opposition to each other. You're, you're wondering which one's going to crack first. Okay. Uh, I want to ask you... If this film is set in 1980s Manhattan, uh, the hospital's not called Arkham, it's it's Bellevue, it's, um, maybe he dresses up as a clown, but maybe he looks like Bozo the Clown. You call the movie Arthur. Do you still get the same enjoyment if we take out all Joker, DC, Batman references? Because mm. I, I think you do. I think you still get a very similar film, so I wonder, um... Do they need the Joker property to tell this type of story of, you know, of mental illness, uh, social downtroddenness and, you know, a rise of, you know, through, you know, through this Murray Franklin bit? What do you think of that? Wow. Um, yes. I think you for me, I still get again, we tend to sort of yeah like that. <clears throat> Darkerness in film, yeah, where appropriate, yeah. Right? I mean, we both talk about like I'll give you prisoners. No, oh, yeah, we both really like that film, but mm-hmm. no one's going to argue that that's not a dark film. Oh, yeah. Okay, so but that doesn't mean I don't like some sunshine in film too. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. <sighs> Man, that's a good question, Jesse. Yeah. Um, as a standalone film that's not tied to the Batman franchise, I'm probably still really interested in that. Yeah, I think I still get the same experience out of it. And probably I like it a little bit more because we're not tied down by the Batman mythos. I really do. As much as I am a Marvel guy, yeah, I am a Marvel guy to my core. Mm-hmm. I really want DC to be good Yeah, for a couple reasons. is I want as many good stories in film as there are possible to be. Yeah. And then if DC gets really good, then that ups the game of Marvel, which then in turn ups the game of DC. Yeah. And a and then franchise if, that I would like, a, a genre, yeah. that I would kind of argue right now, is that a crossroads? Yeah. Because Thanos is gone and we're a new Avengers and what the fuck is going on with Fox and Sony and Spider-Man and I guess they kind of kissed and made up a little bit last two weeks and yeah. all of that, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I want it. Okay, so when I add, so yes. It still works for me. And then when I add how much I am interested by the character of the Joker, and for me, it delivers in a social construct that makes sense for why he occurs. Yeah. I guess my answer, uh, that's a long answer to three letters, which is Y-E-S. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My answer to you is yes. And then I feel that way, but then if like I feel that way and I saw this film about these things, I would almost... Nine times out of ten, recommend you go see Taxi Driver because it does cover the exact same things, and I think a more original and a more fluid type of way. Yeah. But let me say one more thing, and this was written by. I think that's a really good. 
parallel, Jesse. The corollary between those two is really good. Well, I like think you that, all should go see immediately after you see The Joker, go watch Taxi Driver. It's yeah. very, very, very similar. Yeah. If you haven't seen it. Yeah. So this was written by film theorist Jesse. <laughs> so oh, I know him. Yeah. Um, so thinking about how Batman kind of fits into the origin of, of The Joker. So here's why Batman, I believe, is so important to all of his rogues gallery. Okay. None of these loons really show up until he does. Mm-hmm. So therefore, as a man who dresses up as a bat, the cause for more psychotic head cases to take the call to action to tell, to challenge the mantle of the bat... Or if Batman doesn't exist and fight crime, maybe the Joker never happens. Mm -hmm. There has always been a crime in streets in Gotham, but next level psychos don't show up until he does. I think there's a lot to say there with the philosophy of the Batman character that these guys don't really come out of the woodwork until he shows up. So I think he plays an integral role in all of their origin stories that I think is important. So Can I God, Jesse, to that... (laughs) <laughs> like you just laid theory on me it yeah. usually is the other way around yeah for me batman has always been the line between the yin and the yang yeah he is right literally that the dividing line between white and black with the black white and the black dot and the white dot yeah and i think what you just said does such a good job of stating the same mm-hmm. if batman works when there is the struggle between how far am I willing to go to be the embodiment of justice because at some point I become injustice to do so. Yeah. It's why I have such... Every time I watch the Star <clears throat> Chamber, I pray to God that it's going to work out and it never does. Yeah. I love... I For me, I personally love that. It sounds like you do too. Yeah. I completely agree with everything you just said there. It's yeah. so well stated. Yeah. That is genius. Um, yes, that's that. That is how Batman works. He's not necessary if the rogues aren't there and they don't exist. Yeah. Unless he's there, because if everything's nice in Gotham, why do you need Batman? Yeah. You just need cops. What I really like, and then this is not the Dark Knight podcast, and we'll do that film one day. We, okay, we might have fun. to do a raw take where we watch it and then come in here. That'd be fun. Kind of see it. Yeah. But it's the reason I like the ending of that film too. Was it Batman comes to the realization in here the the Joker won at the end of the day. The only out here is for me to take the fall. He kind of realizes that the whole thing's his fault. Yeah. That like this call to action and this mob upheaval and all this justing for power and the battle for the soul of Gotham is because of him. Mm-hmm. And that's morally. You don't get these type of questions with Superman. He's like so boring. Right. But like with Batman, you can have these philosophical conversations about. What's right and what's wrong, and sometimes doing the right thing is a bad thing. Yeah. So well said. Let's just leave it at that. So. So what did you give it? So what does that get? Oh shit! At? I didn't even rate the film. Um, it's uh, I'm right in the middle with this film. It's it's well to kind of bordering on single barrel. Joaquin Phoenix is amazing, but again, like I struggle with like the stuff. She- well or call? Oh shit! Call. Sorry, okay. my bad. You said well, and I'm yeah. like, oh what? I'm right in the middle with this. So like film. well plus to single barrel minus? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm right in the middle with this. So I think I need to see it again to kind of really mm-hmm. kind of take more in. But again, it's a very joyless film. The, there's not like the Joker punchlines that I look out for. And uh, yeah, just, I just I question some of the questioning, but I love the intention of trying to create this origin story from the ground up. It's 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 been fun. Like. Uh, Warner Brothers DC films needed like kind of like a win or some things to go right for them in whatever the hell they're doing. And the rumors I read is that this is part of a line of what they call DC Dark where they're going to 
do more like gritty films of this nature that are not really tied to anything else. Man, I hope they choose to rethink that and not let this be the embodiment of a totality. Like if these are just one shots or one offs that aren't tied to the universe. And they did that from the beginning. And then basically to boil it down for the listeners, what they said was, if you can read between the lines, Mm -hmm. if it makes money, it's part of Batman canon. And if it doesn't, then it was just a story. Yeah. The Joker has, what, 60, 70 years of undefined legacy, and they're doing something, in my opinion, that was really done well. You're not going to make anyone happy with the fanboy service that we've talked about because it's an impossible group to make happy. Mm -hmm. That being said, I man, please do what you did. Do what you said they were going to do, and that's choose some very unique villains in which... They can write it out in a grim, gritty way. You know who this would be great for? And then we'll get into our flight, this perfect segue. This would be so perfect for Mr. Freeze. Like, talk about a tragic story for a character like that. Well, I have my version of that too, so let's get right into it. All right, hit us with the nightcap, Matt. So the nightcap for this week is then kind of tied to that, what we just said. And it has to do with... um, Along the lines of villains, as established right now, what's your favorite origin story for a villain? Okay. And I'll, you know, if you want to do more than one, give me a couple because that's kind of how we do, then I'm fine with that. But like, where's your favorite creation of villain sure. in story? Excellent. Um, I like this one because he was given like a whole 40 pages for an origin story, and that's pretty rare for a comic book villain. Um, It's Bane from the Nightfall Saga. Uh, I believe the issue is called Vengeance of Bane number one. But talk about an interesting kind of origin where before his birth, he's like ordered to like serve his father's prison sentence in this like kangaroo court crazy Salduro, like, uh, like mm-hmm. we're at like Peru- Peruvian prison, and he all he knows is walls and bars his entire life. Yeah. He takes that as a point to you know learn, learn languages, uh, you know benefit himself, defend himself. He has some protectors along the way, but then along the way finds out about the legacy of the Batman, and as this formidable challenger, so that when it is finally time for him to fly the coop and get out of here with some some people where he's going because this is the only person that like you know poses like a challenge to him and boy does that go in a crazy direction with what i like how you always it's it's uh it's uh peter it's a uh, john paul john paul valley but you always call him john Vel john Vel- john <laughs> <laughs> yeah. from lay miz but i think you know bane it, it comes from the sense of it's kind of what he always knew was just kind of death and destruction in this prison system. And that's what he takes and the experiments with the venom and that make him superhuman. I've always loved his origin story. Um, yeah, that's I got to pick Bane. It's good. Man, I had a lot on this. Okay. The creation of hero for me, exi- or I'm sorry, the creation of villain for me goes one of two ways. In <clears throat> comics, it's by the failures of the father and in horror film, it's by the failures of the mother. Mm-hmm. So here are all the possibilities that didn't quite make the list for me. Okay. Frankenstein's monster. Okay. At the end of that film, I'm left thinking like, man, who was the villain and who wasn't in this movie? Okay. Dracula. 
I understand why he's doing what he's doing. It's over his wife. Okay, so all the universal monsters, if you want to get to the werewolf, like in, in Lon Chaney's Wolfman, I'll give you that too. Okay. Okay, so let's go the other way. As much as you said, Mr. Freeze, which I, we've talked about a lot and I know you love. Yeah. You know who, I, you're going to laugh when I tell you this, you know who I really think is cool? Okay. I really like the cheetah. Oh. The, the powers promised to her by the medicine man and then what she doesn't achieve because he forgets to tell her that, oh yeah, you have to be a virgin. Mm-hmm. And so then she becomes this ravenous thing. I hope that in nineteen that Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four mm-hmm. they deliver on that. I think she is fascinating. Yeah. yeah, maybe it's because I like noir and that has a noir feel sure, to sure. it in, a, in like the the theory of noir. Um, I like Killmonger. Mm. I thought Killmonger is really well done. I thought they did him pretty well in the film too. Damn right. Yeah, but all of those are second fiddle to Carrie White. Mm. Carrie White is a sweet, kind girl. And we see how society and mostly my girl Piper Laurie yeah. creates a literal monster yeah. because of her inability to get past her own proclivities or weaknesses. Yeah. So for me, my favorite villain is Carrie White. It's a good one. Doom is in there. Norman Osborn's in there. That's such like low. That's so obvious. Yeah. Trying to be a lip, trying to push the envelope here a little bit. Yeah. And also then reference back to a previous podcast. Go back and listen to Carrie, guys. Yeah. It's a really good podcast. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah, Carrie White. Excellent. What did you say again? One more time. Uh, the, the the it's seen through the mother and see, say what say that again. Yeah. So in comics, and again, nothing is a hundred percent at death. Does have death and taxes, right? Because like the Killmonger goes, the Killmonger model goes against what I'm about to say. Here. Yeah. Actually, no, no, it doesn't actually. In comics, yeah, the villain is created through the the failures or the the missteps of dad. Yeah. And then you said in horror. But in horror film, it's created through the missteps of mom. This is the perfect segue for opening up our next cask for the next coming week. So we're going to take a trip to my favorite subgenre of horror, Matt. This is going to be a fun ride. We're going to call this the Slasher Film Starter Pack. Nice. And up first, talking about the sins of mother... 1980, Friday the 13th, Ooh. looking at Mrs. Voorhees and her little son, Jason. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I'm excited to talk about this and, and the films, and we'll talk about, you know, the the formula of a slasher film, the final girls, and kind of looking at one that wasn't the first, but Friday the 13th kind of showed how you could monetize this subgenre to just... Make money on nothing. Mm-hmm. The story didn't need to be good, but if it was gory, if there was TNA, and if you delivered, man, people were going to show up in droves to see it. And it started a whole trend that kind of <laughs> fell out in 1984. But we'll save those conversations. So, Matt, are you excited to revisit Camp Crystal Lake? I can't wait just because I haven't watched the three films for this cast in some time. Mm. I can't wait to get home and watch Get Back to Friday the 13th. Excellent. Especially with kind of the, and this wasn't a, a conscious tease, yeah. but with everything that American Horror Story, in my opinion, is already not, like I'm already out after two episodes, sure. is not doing with AHS 1984. Excellent. Um, you and I have talked a lot about how this this subgenre of horror is in dire need of a revitalization, and you even kind of brought it up, and we talked about it a little bit with the VHS mm-hmm. uh, from, 
you know, our version of our slasher killer on yeah. the boat in yeah. the yacht called Red Tide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Admiral. And yeah. I can't wait. I just, I'm, I'm so looking forward to going back to like 11-year-old me. Yeah. And remembering what I saw the first time. There was something about, you know, going, you know, VHS, like rental shopping oh, yeah. and seeing these titles of like the hockey mask and... Whether it be Freddy Krueger or Halloween with the pumpkin and Michael Myers, like there was like a fun joy to that, and the sequels, like some are great, some are god awful, but like we're gonna cover uh, some some unique originals here. Yeah, excellent. Cheers, Matt. Cheers, Jesse. This has been a fun conversation. I got to get going. I have a second job as a clown, you know, trying to sell, you know, you know, used furniture at this store down the street. I gotta go get. I gotta go get to work. I'm sorry. So this is the mini shot for right now. In lieu of the hockey mask, you have a NHL champion prediction for me. Oh no! Uh, let me see. Man, you got to think that those Las Vegas Golden Knights would. You know, they're young. They're new. Came close. I'm going them. I'm gonna go home and watch my taped version of the New York Islanders okay. from last night. Okay, excellent. Excellent. Cheers, everybody. We'll see you next week. Cheers, everybody. Thank you for 10,000 downloads and nine months of what has been a beautiful ride for me and Jesse. Everybody, I mean this Rice Smile Nation, this one's to you. Everybody, have a superb week. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay in the know for future episodes. And be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, Stitcher, and leave us an email at rysmileproductions at gmail.com. Joker is property of Warner Brothers Pictures, DC Films, Village Roadshow Pictures, Braun Creative, and Joint Effort, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Smile, though your heart is aching, smile. Even though it's breaking When there are clouds in the sky You'll get by if you smile Through your fear and sorrow